This is The Guardian. Twenty-five years ago, a peace agreement was signed in Northern Ireland and a baby girl was born. Today, we revisit both. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good Friday 1998 started on a snowy morning in Lisburn and we looked out the window and thought, okay, a little bit of snow, we can cope with that, we can drive that. A quarter century ago, people across the UK and Ireland were tense and hopeful. Talks to finalise a peace deal in Northern Ireland are still going on, but a final agreement is expected within hours, with strong hints that the main points of an accord have been agreed. At Stormont, outside Belfast, Republican and Unionist leaders, who had been bitter enemies for decades, had gathered together to hash out the final points of an agreement that they believed could bring all that fighting to an end. Despite speculation that Sinn Féin were poised to leave the talks... Down the road, that same morning... Anne Patterson, a lifelong resident of Northern Ireland, was also having a pretty busy day. She was on her way to the hospital. About 7am, I went into labour and we knew that the agreement talks were going on, but at that stage, definitely quite far from my mind. Now on BBC One, the news with Nicholas Witchell. We had a TV on the wall in the room. And we were watching the talks up at Stormont. We were watching people going in and people coming out. We were watching lunch breaks. Northern Ireland's political leaders are studying the final draft of an agreement which is intended to end nearly 30 years of conflict and which will now, create for Northern Ireland... a lot of women going through labour will be saying, how on earth were you watching a TV in the room? But I had my full quota of pain relief. So I wasn't in pain whilst in labour. So I was able to keep an eye on it. Actually give us something else to talk about. Talks which have lasted on and off for 22 months have reached their moment of truth. We were collectively, I think, without realising it, holding our breath. Because I never trusted that all sides could agree to the same thing. That was seemed very far from anything I'd ever lived through. And what did happen then by 9pm was they walked out the doors of Stormont with the agreement in their hands. I'm pleased to announce that the two governments and the political parties of Northern Ireland have reached agreement. And 25 minutes later, Kerry was born. And I couldn't, honestly couldn't believe my luck that my baby was born and the peace agreement had been signed at the same time. I was on a high and my mum, somewhere in the background, she had been saying in and out, if it's signed, if it's signed, if it's a girl, she'd definitely call her Hope. But we had decided on Kerry for a girl. But why don't we make Hope her second name? I had a very happy, peaceful childhood and 
you know, it definitely shaped me to be the person that I am today. I'm very proud of my birthday and it's pretty special that I was born just minutes after the agreement was signed. Kerry Hope Patterson became known as one of Northern Ireland's peace babies. A generation born in the aftermath of an agreement that for decades had seemed impossible. And then became, for kids like Kerry, a reality. The Good Friday Agreement changed the way Northern Ireland functions, and often the way it doesn't function. But for all its flaws, in the face of tensions, terrorism, and some terrible political decisions, the agreement is still with us. It's reduced the burden of an old division across Northern Irish society, and created another division across time, between those who remember what life was like before Good Friday, 1998, and the ones that came after. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, a mother looks back on the Good Friday Agreement and a daughter looks forward to the future of Northern Ireland. And when Kerry was born, the fact that it was the day the agreement was signed, did you sort of comprehend in that moment what it might mean for Kerry, the fact that she was born in an era where where this conflict might end, like in that moment, did you think her life is going to be different? Um, I hadn't known any life other than the life I had grown up with, which was always under the cloud of violence. And I couldn't imagine what Northern Ireland would be like I also probably didn't trust that Northern Ireland could change because traditions are very ingrained. Still now, I would probably say traditions are very entrenched in people. So I didn't, I didn't know what peace could look like. You've talked about the shadow of your own life being one of violence. And I'd like to know, where did you grow up? What kind of community was it? What did it look like and feel like to grow up there? I'm from a small town outside of Derry called Straban. And Straban is a border town which were the most bombed in Northern Ireland. For a place its size, it suffered more than any other community in Northern Ireland. This week, the provisional IRA extended their bombing campaign to many country towns. The damage they have suffered is nothing compared to the Blitz of Straban. 200 bombs in five years have reduced the town centre to rubble. I heard bombs go off and my dad, he was a builder. I knew my dad would go out after the bomb had gone off to patch up the buildings There were many, many shootings. Um, The town I lived in was 90% Catholic and 10% Protestant. And I grew up in the Protestant tradition in Straban, very, very much in a minority. I did experience violence because I went to a state school, which are traditionally Protestant schools. But in order to get to my school, you had to go through a very Republican area. We certainly weren't allowed to walk around that area in our school uniform. And our buses were regularly stoned. Mm, And Michael, this might seem really strange to somebody. 
I didn't notice it. I didn't know any different. I mean, people would throw rocks at your school bus. Like, I understand that it came to seem normal, but like when you thought about why people were doing that, why you weren't allowed to walk around some areas in your school uniform, how did you make sense of it? That I, I didn't try and make sense of it. It just was something that happened. I I don't know how many children actually know how to make sense of anything. I even think that now as a teacher. They accept things because adults make them feel secure. And the adults I spent time with made me feel secure. You know, you still go out in the streets and play. And I do, I do have one memory that I, believe it or not, look back on and smile about. Where I lived up until I was 10, just below our house was a field that belonged to a school. It was their football pitch, actually. And it was where the army landed to drop soldiers off. And I mean, like, just at the bottom of our driveway, less than 30 yards from our front door. So you always heard the army helicopters coming. They would have landed the helicopter. The army would have jumped out, run to the hedge. And we all ran out and waved frantically at the army helicopter. (laughs) And then we either went back inside where we were playing or we all were like, we're all out now. Let's go play. Who's playing what? Who's getting their bike? I mean, I guess when you're a kid, it's all, it's kind of exciting, isn't it? Oh, I mean, that probably sounds a bit strange, but yes, it was exciting. Absolutely, it was exciting. I didn't know who we were waving at. It might as well have been an action man toy. I didn't think beyond a helicopter and soldiers. I didn't think what they were going to do. I didn't think what they were going to face. That never entered my mind. Well, one thing I'd like to know is is how much of a normal adolescence could you have in this context? Like, what was it like to be a teenager growing up in the middle of this kind of conflict? I was allowed to walk into town. Our town was a thriving town. We travelled over the border regularly. We had a lot of friends who lived just over the border from Straban, and you had to pass through two checkpoints. The Irish Republic is 500 yards away across a river. This is where the provisional IRA have their base, and this is where they retreat to, across a border that is notoriously difficult to patrol. On the north side of a small bridge, there would have been a police checkpoint. So your car was searched and they just reached in and checked your licence. And then the other side, the Garda were there and then they also did a check. But because we were never doing anything and never carrying anything, they shone the torch in the back and you said hello out to the police and you said hello out to the Garda and you went on your way to visit your friends. So I can see how it sounds intimidating, certainly to carry. She would find that very intimidating. But travelling back and forward quite often over the border, I didn't find that strange at all. And, and how permanent did this all feel? Not just the things you were seeing around you, the soldiers, the police, the borders, but the, the division that it all represented, like this idea that there were these communities where you lived and they were divided. How permanent did that feel? That's a, that's a good question, but a difficult question because obviously your life feels 
permanent as a child. You don't think as a child, is there another life? Yeah. But my parents, they brought me up to consider everybody the same, to not resent anyone, not to not think I'm one thing and someone else is another and there is nothing in between. So I was determined as an adult that I I just I just didn't want to hear on every news bulletin who had been shot because that honestly that was my life. The news went on every night in our house at tea time when my dad came in and the first thing would be who'd been shot, where had been bombed, who was hijacked and you just waited to hear which side was turn was it to have had somebody killed. And I grew to realise that it's not any good killing people. That's never the way. It's never the way. In my opinion, it's never the way. So that's why I wanted something different and behaved differently as I grew up. And then obviously when I was thinking about having children, I was determined that they did not know the phrases Protestant and Catholic. And I would have actively avoided those words. Well, I hope for Kerry's sake that um, we can come to a solution at this point and that she really will be the symbol of peace. Kerry's mum speaking when she was just a baby. She was only beginning to crawl when we took these shots, but soon she'll be celebrating her 10th birthday. So what does she make of it all? Kerry, this is far from your first interview. TV cameras and microphones have been part of your life basically since the day you were born. What do you think when you see our politicians on television? Do you think they're doing a good job? Um, well, when they argue, I don't necessarily think they're doing very well. But when I see they're making agreements, I think it's very good. Do you remember when you first became aware that you are what's called a peace baby? Yeah, I guess the first memory I have is on my 10th birthday. Um, I was invited to a gala dinner in the Europa Hotel in Belfast, where they brought together a lot of the political leaders community leaders, individuals that were involved in the debates and the discussions around the Good Friday Agreement um, and the photos uh, and the conversations from that event are are pretty special memories. Yeah, I mean, not not many 10-year-olds are spending their birthday at a gala dinner. (laughs) No, no, absolutely. And, And being explained to the significance of my birthday, and I guess I didn't fully understand and appreciate why it was special until I was slightly older than 10. But yeah, it, it, I'm reminded of it very nicely every year, I guess. But did you, did you understand what it meant? Why you and your generation were considered so special? Like, because like, you're a kid, right? And like, how does yeah. a kid make sense of the fact that, you know, well, before you were born, there was this conflict and now there isn't? I mean, how did you understand it back then? Yeah, I, I, d- I definitely would probably say I didn't understand, you know, my whole childhood, um, right up until I've been an adult, has been very peaceful in Northern Ireland. And I really didn't know any other way. The Good Friday Agreement was celebrated around the world. But it was just the beginning of a process, not the end. A massive car bomb in Northern Ireland has killed more than 20 people, including children. Within three months, in Oma, a town close to where Anne grew up, an IRA faction opposed to the agreement detonated a car bomb. They killed 29 people and injured more than 200, 
in the single deadliest attack of the Troubles. The British Army didn't leave straight away either. They were still deployed in Northern Ireland for a decade after the agreement was signed. Power sharing collapsed after just four years, and not for the only time. Peace was not inevitable. And I'd like to understand, I suppose, how you were able to raise Kerry like that. And I want to begin in the days after the Good Friday Agreement was signed. You had your first child. I'm sure you were busy, you were sleepless. But when did you begin to notice that things around you had changed? Um. Changes were slow to happen. New Republican and loyalist groups started who weren't happy that we'd signed an agreement. It took a long time for me to to see the news as being something other than death and violence. But the gun was taken out of politics. It had been from before that signed arms deals years before 1998. And I don't think I'm under any illusion there are guns in Northern Ireland and they still rule communities. But it doesn't dictate our day-to-day life the way it did before. And I think a lot of the politicians who would have been very divisive at the time stopped being so divisive. I remember growing up, Jerry Adams and Martin McGuinness with Sinn Féin, their voices weren't allowed to be used on television. At times, they allowed a voiceover. To be for good. Are you saying there's no more that the IRA can say in response I don't to that? Speak speak to the IRA. IRA. I, I, I don't. Sinn Féin I don't. can say. Well if, Mr. well, if Mr. Major, as he should be doing anyway, once. It was a very odd thing looking back. Again, I'm smiling. I don't know why I'm smiling, but you actually heard their voices and, and generally you were surprised by... Just their accents and everything. In the 1980s, he entered into secret talks with Jerry Adams. It provoked anger and criticism, but he refused to change course. Leaders like John Hume reached across divides. I don't give two balls of roasted snow, Jim. What advice anybody gives me about those talks, because I will continue with them. The country of Northern Ireland and its people were more important than the gun and, and the politics of division. So there became this very loud voice of both sides who said, we don't want to be dictated to by people who don't talk to each other. That was the start of it. And then a big change came whenever we had a Northern Ireland government with Ian Paisley and Martin McGuinness leading together because they were the extremes on both sides. Our position is clear and it will never, never, never change. The war against British rule must continue until freedom is achieved. are so stained with our blood that it would take a hundred years to pass before you could acknowledge them as even decent. If Ian Paisley and Martin McGuinness can sit down in a room and discuss things, absolutely there's hope for everybody. So that was it? You figured this thing could stick? Yes, because they spoke for the extremes, but they brought the extremes together. So 
Absolutely. I still believe in that. I still am grateful for that. From the depths of my heart, I can say to you today that I believe Northern Ireland has come to a time of peace, a time when hate will no longer rule. How good it will be to be part of a wonderful healing in this province. And they started to listen to the voice of Northern Ireland and the voice that was getting louder, which was saying, stop all the violence. Let's move forward with our community, not as nationalists and unionists, but as Northern Irish. There's another phrase that started to be used and I identify with. I am Northern Irish. Mm. And and when did you see that these changes you're talking about that were kicked off by the Good Friday Agreement were actually filtering down into your everyday life? When did you start to see that things in the wake of this agreement were changing? It definitely was whenever the government became a government and Northern Ireland got their own power sharing because that way... The people who live in the province can decide what happens in the province. Having a Northern Ireland government definitely changed things because people from both sides could listen to politicians who were talking about our small country. And then money, because we made an agreement to be peaceful. So we were given financial incentive and that financial incentive I see the fruits of now For example, the Titanic Centre, that whole area of Belfast, it's now a thriving business. I see Belfast as somewhere that you can go morning, noon and night, whereas before you couldn't go into Belfast at night. You weren't allowed to. So if I took Kerry and Alex, her sister, around Belfast now, I'd take them to every area of Belfast. It's been a slow and gradual change, but it has been very, very positive. But it also sounds like you saw peace as as your own responsibility, not something that politicians worked out, but something that you had to make. Michael, that is so true. I don't think anybody's ever said that to me, but absolutely, because everybody's responsible for their own behaviour and change starts with yourself. And I don't even know that whether I'm British or Irish matters to me anymore either. But what does matter is that my children and the people who I have influence over don't see them as being as part of one side. Kerry, growing up, what kind of reminders did you have around you of of the violence, of all of this stuff that had come just before your birth? Obviously, if, if you're driving around Belfast or or some other parts of Northern Ireland, there's flags or murals on the wall, which kind of signify some of the important individuals or, or things that mean something to communities. This honours three paramilitaries killed during the conflict with the IRA. They belong to the Ulster Volunteer Force, still designated as a terrorist organisation. But uh, other than that, we didn't have very many visual reminders. And I was very lucky and and have been very lucky to have grown up not really noticing things that would have been very predominant before I was born, such as, say, segregation in communities or segregation in schools. 
there would have been stories on the news, but not quite as significant as the stories that would have been in the news, say, before I was born. I mean, that's pretty incredible that it was so quickly consigned to history. I mean, you were literally born a few minutes after the agreement. And just in that small amount of time, it had gone from this really difficult present to the past. Yeah, yeah. I It, it was great, to be honest, that most of my generation grew up where we could acknowledge what had happened in the past, but but live a very different life for the most part of most of us. Uh, and that does come down to obviously our parents and our upbringings, the, the political leaders, the community leaders, and the people who made a real effort to make Northern Ireland a, a better and a happier place. You know, they would have been a lot of organized and, and integrated, say, activities, whether it be sports um, or like an arts and crafts club growing up it didn't matter what section of the community you came from. And were you aware at the time, as you were growing up, how pioneering your generation was, how rare it was in, in, in the history of the country that, that you could have that kind of childhood? I, again, I think as, as a child, you just don't know. And then as I got older, it was so normal that we didn't even know either. So we really didn't notice or, or still probably don't notice enough, you know, how, how different our our childhood was than the generation before. And I'm just curious, as someone who's grown up in a place where, where faith has been weaponized in a way, it's taken on this like, political value that's associated with, with so much horror. Like, how do you think of, of your own faith? Would you describe yourself as a religious person? Uh, I actually really appreciate you bringing that into the conversation, Michael, because faith is of number one importance to me. It is faith and not religion. And that becomes very important when you've had my upbringing uh, in Northern Ireland. I'm sure other people would maybe frown at that and not understand it. But from my point of view, faith has nothing to do with religion. Religions were created by us. But in Northern Ireland, that is difficult because people associate faith and religion if you're a Protestant, mm. you're one thing. If you're a Catholic, you're another. But oh my word, do I not want to fit into that? And even more so than me, Kerry does not want to fit into that. Kerry would actually be quite cross about being asked about being a Protestant or a Catholic. It is not in her psyche. It does not affect her day-to-day -day life. It does not affect her relationships. You know, so for that, I'm very proud and very grateful that faith is more important than religion to us. I mean, just to contrast with the things that would have occupied your mum growing up, in the absence of this like terrible conflict with all of the trauma that it created, what is it that you and your friends thought about, talked about as you were growing up? Yeah, my, my personal experience is that we really didn't talk about if you were Catholic or Protestant. We, we, it really didn't matter to myself. It didn't matter to my friends. It didn't matter to my peers. We had so many other issues and challenges and opportunities to face that you know it didn't matter what kind of religious background you came from or what community you came from it was just great to meet people of all walks of life and and do life together and in, in a happy positive conflict-free zone. And to tell us about some of your memories of, of bringing up Kerry and perhaps some of the challenges that you faced in trying to 
raised her differently in trying to make sure that this conflict that had overshadowed your life played no part in hers? I never wanted to give my children an affiliation, which is quite difficult because if you get a passport, (laughs) you either have a British passport or an Irish passport. And you have to write in forms, are you British or are you Irish? So there were difficulties I faced when I was bringing the girls up as Northern Irish Christians, not British Protestants or Nationalist Irish. Her schooling was mixed. Uh, We're fortunate, I suppose, to not live in an area where traditions become more important than peace. You know, there are areas of Northern Ireland still where people are very Republican and very, very loyalist. I'm not one of the ones who was impacted personally. I did not lose a family member. That would be very difficult. I think my views would be coloured by, everybody's views are coloured by their experience. I think what has helped, I suppose, in our family is that Kerry is the peace baby. Mm. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud that I get to talk about how I brought my child up. Anne and Kerry have become used to telling their story. But theirs isn't the only version of this. Not everybody in Northern Ireland has found it so easy to leave the past behind. There are still segregated schools. This is a selection of ammunition that was recovered again from that home. So these are still paramilitary groups. Thousands are linked to these groups, with a criminal core involved in drugs, prostitution, blackmail and extortion. Marches by Protestants through majority Catholic neighbourhoods are still a source of tension and sometimes violence. Uh, around 8 o'clock last night, we saw that John Earlier this year, a senior police officer, John Caldwell, was shot in Omar by a dissident faction of the IRA while loading footballs into the boot of his car, standing next to his son. Uh, when two gunmen appeared, fired multiple shots, John ran a short distance, and as he fell to the ground, the gunmen continued to fire shots at him. The terror threat um, in the lead-up to the like 25th earlier, anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement was raised just last week to severe indicating an attack is highly likely. And power sharing in Stormont has broken down again, this time largely because of Brexit and all the uncertainty that it cast over the status of Northern Ireland. People are hoping the Windsor framework, agreed just a few weeks ago, might provide a pathway back to Northern Ireland governing itself. Kerry, we're now 25 years on from the Good Friday Agreement, and despite some serious setbacks, things are clearly so much more stable than when your mum and dad grew up during the Troubles. You live in Dublin now, but what do you think are the most pressing issues facing people in Northern Ireland today? I think it would be great uh, to get Stormont up and running again. There's a lot of decisions to be made around healthcare and education these are super important to, to so many people and, and affect the lives of pretty much everyone. I think to get the Windsor framework finalised and, and in place would be very helpful for businesses to give them the certainty that they haven't been able to have over the past couple of years and to continue the, the economic growth that Northern Ireland's seen since the agreement was signed. So continuing with the growth of the tourism sector, the investment in the infrastructure 
uh, all of these things w- w- would be very important. Do you feel like your voice and this perspective that you've had growing up, that maybe your friends have had growing up too, is represented in the politics of Northern Ireland today? Yeah, um, I can't say for sure if if the views of myself and my peers are represented in in the politicians we see before us, but you know that's up to my generation to to look for those people and to to become those people in in time and and represent the voices and and the optimism that we have as as a generation. I think the most disappointing thing for me now is that um, we have no power sharing. When I see that still now parties won't sit down and talk with each other, it makes me so angry. The only thing that matters to me is health and education, not whose side gets this and whose side doesn't get that. And because we have no power sharing government, our education budget is on hold. Our health budget is on hold. And they're holding our country to ransom. And I feel like my voice isn't heard now the way it mattered before, because there's politicians who are not speaking for me anymore. Mm. In that way, you know, when we hear reports of increased violence in Northern Ireland, of the terror threat being raised, do you ever get a sense that the peace in which you were able to bring up Kerry might be might be more fragile than we think. No, I don't think it's fragile. Honestly, there are people who are still as extreme as they ever were. They definitely haven't gone. They definitely haven't gone. But they are smaller in number, um, more alienated. And even recently when the off-duty policeman was shot, that sent shockwaves through the whole community. It's an attack on our peace, our hard-won peace, uh, and it's an attack on the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. We see the horrors of shootings and bombings now in a way that we didn't see them when I was growing up. Back Back in my day, it was tit for tat. And that was a phrase that was said so loosely and so casually. But you see now, no, we are not casual about shooting anymore. How much of that do you credit to the agreement? And how much of that do you credit to people's willingness, people like yourself, their willingness to live out the spirit of the agreement? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think of myself as having any say in it, to be honest. It's difficult. I even find it difficult to vote because I feel like my voice is only one voice and I hear how bad that sounds, but I just try and make, my changes I just try and make for me and my family, you know, I don't know how much of what I say could ever influence anybody, you know, because I have such a moderate view, (laughs) you know. But don't you think just bringing up your children this way is like far more powerful than than a vote? I mean, you're kind of moulding the minds of people who will inherit Northern Ireland, the next generation. You know, the things that you're saying back to me are things that actually make me feel a bit emotional because I would love that. I would love that to be true. I love that part of Kerry's story is that right for now, she's living and working in Dublin. Back in my day, 
somebody going to live and work in Dublin was a much bigger thing. Certainly, I'm proud that Kerry sees sees and grasps opportunities from all over the UK and Ireland. Coming up, the next 25 years of the Good Friday Agreement. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day... What would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. And what do you hope now? for the country's future in terms of holding on to all these benefits that the Good Friday Agreement ushered in? Like, what do you hope that Kerry's generation is able to do to take it further? I would like Kerry to be the normal 25-year-old and speak for the norm of Northern Ireland, somebody who grew up unbiased and unlabeled and unhindered and politicians that are coming forward. I want them to speak for the people of Northern Ireland. I want them to speak for education and health. They've put a lot of money into the economy and into tourism. And I am delighted because there are things in Northern Ireland I want the world to see. I don't want the world to think of us as being um, the the poor wee people from Belfast. Uh, The province of Northern Ireland is absolutely beautiful, place to be, beautiful, beautiful country to live in. So I do think, I do feel positive about the future. I definitely looking back and reflecting over 25 years of peace in Northern Ireland. If it broke down now, I would be utterly devastated. 
utterly devastated. Kerry, you've been living in Dublin for the last seven years or so, which gives you a unique perspective on the relationship between the two countries. Have you seen that change over time? I have a lot of friends, say, from Dublin who'd, who'd never been to the North before or never been to Belfast before. So, you know, over the past few years, that's that's become much a, more commonplace. Um, you see, say, the cars and the different registrations on the roads a lot more. It's great to see for, for both the economies and, and for the integration of, of society, I guess, as well. I mean, this anniversary is obviously meaningful for you. It's your 25th birthday. But what do you make of of the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, this thing that's been intertwined with your own life? How do you reflect on its importance now? Yeah, I think for me, it's important to celebrate how far Northern Ireland has progressed over the past 25 years. Um, It's important to respectfully remember the challenges the country faced and and be grateful to the individuals that played a part in in both you know making the agreement and, and also those who made society the the society it was as we were growing up which was was very peaceful you know it's, it, this 25th anniversary is a good reminder of that but you know equally a, a reminder for us to to continue moving forward and what do you hope that people take away from you and from your life story your life story so far, we should say, you're only 25. Yeah. I hope people hear the optimism, you know, the happy childhood that I, I grew up in and, and how that shaped me having, you know, a very integrated society that I lived in. And it took a lot of people to have a much more open mind. My parents and, and my family, my friends, and then the community that I grew up in more broadly. My middle name is Hope. And, you know, that's something I was shy about when I was growing up because it's not the most common name, but it's something I'm very proud of now and it's pretty special and I'm very grateful for the upbringing. And just finally, on on this 25-year anniversary, can you imagine that you would have been able to to bring up your children and to have them think in the way that they now think if the peace deal hadn't been signed 25 years ago? I doubt it. They would have been shackled with the same baggage that I have. They would live every day like I lived every day, which was constantly under the threat of violence. I would have feared for them going out at nights to go into town or anything. So many innocent people lost their lives in the troubles in Northern Ireland. It couldn't possibly have been the same because it's better now. It's better for Kerry. It's better by far. That was Anne Patterson. Thank you so much to her and to her daughter, Kerry, for their time. You can read all of our coverage of the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement at theguardian.com. Before we go, if you're looking for tips on great, thought-provoking stuff to watch over the Easter break, subscribe now to The Guardian's Documentaries newsletter. It's free and it's a brilliant guide to documentaries produced by The Guardian and others, as well as interviews with independent filmmakers and behind-the-scenes glimpses into award-winning films. Sign up today at theguardian.com forward slash documentaries newsletter. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Rose DeLarabiti with help from Matt Murphy and Morgan Eyre. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian. 